Our lesson this morning is the brotherhood of man, and our text is James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, which read as follows. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a, man, a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? God bless the reading of his word, and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. So give us the words to say, and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness, and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. I thank you very much for coming to hear the lessons for today. And before we begin our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and based our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. Now, the Roman Empire of the first century was not a very homogeneous place. The Roman war machine, one of the most efficient fighting forces seen in the world up until that time, conquered without regard for the characteristics of the people they conquered. The only consideration that the Romans had was geography, and they wanted to conquer the most geography that they could. All racial and ethnic considerations were secondary. Now, the Romans are the fourth of the four great military waves to come through Palestine. The first, of course, were the Jews, who under Moses and Joshua were given the charge by God to eradicate the Canaanites that were indigenous to the Palestine, as God knew that if the Jews coexisted with the Canaanites, the Canaanites would entice the Jews into worshiping their idol gods. Now, the Jews failed to follow God's charge, fell into idolatry as God predicted, and were themselves conquered by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Now, the Assyrians and the Babylonians kept control over their kingdom by displacing conquered peoples. The Babylonians deported the Jews out of Palestine to various areas of Eastern Europe while bringing people from the lands to which they deported the, Israel, the Israelites into Palestine. The people who were brought into, into the Palestine were called Samaritans and were still in Palestine at the time of Jesus Christ. Now, the third great military wave was that of the Persians and the Greeks who conquered the Babylonians to take control of Palestine. The Persians and the Greeks allowed two, the two southernmost tribes of Israel to return to the Palestine, introduced Persian and Greek culture into the Palestine, but did little to affect the ethnic makeup of the Palestine. And then the fourth wave was the Romans who made the Palestine part of the Roman Empire and brought the residents into contact with the various cultures of the world 
because of the increased availability of travel throughout the empire. So during the time of Jesus and the New Testament, the Palestine is an ethnically diverse place. Jews and Gentiles of all descriptions meet one another in the land. Now the Jews have traditionally endeavored to keep themselves pure or separate from other ethnicities with which they come into contact because of God's initial charge to the Jews for them to do so. But when the Christian church began, after the ascension of the risen Savior into heaven and the descending of the Holy Spirit from heaven to indwell men, the church had a distinctly Jewish flavor. Jesus' parents were Jewish, as Matthew chapter 1 traces the lineage of Jesus back through Joseph, back to Abraham, and Luke chapter 3 traced the lineage of Jesus through Mary, back to Abraham, Shechem, and Adam, all the way back to God. So Jesus was a Nazarene, Galilean Jew, and his 12 disciples were Jews as well. Now, Jesus grew up in the Galilean town of Nazareth, whose poor reputation among most Jews is reflected in Nathanael's comment to Philip in John chapter 1, verse 46. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Now, after Jesus fed the 5,000 with the two fish and the five loaves of bread, the reputation of his miracle ministry grew. People began comparing Jesus' deeds with the works of the Christ prophesied in the Old Testament. But the predominant reason for Jesus' rejection by the Jewish leadership was the fact that Jesus was a Galilean. John chapter 7, verse 43-43 records, Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now, as the discussion continued, the Jewish leadership sent soldiers from the temple guard to bring Jesus in for questioning, but Jesus talked his way out of the arrest warrant. And when the soldiers returned to the leadership, the discussion turned once again to the place from which Jesus came. John chapter 7, verse 45 through 49 records, Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Now, some concrete station, statement that Jesus made to the officers caused them to change their mind about arresting Jesus. The Pharisees did not evaluate that was Jesus said. As a matter of fact, they did not even ask what Jesus said, but simply reverted to an argument to their own authority, which is the least convincing type of argument. Nicodemus, the one Pharisee that had actually heard and spoken to Jesus, tried to stick up for Jesus in John chapter 7, verse 50 through 53. The Bible says, Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. 
and everyone went to his own house. Now, the Jews judged Jesus not by his word and not by his works, but by his birthplace. The most interesting thing about the whole situation is that although Jesus came from Galilee, he was not actually born there. If you remember the Christmas story, Jesus is followers of the house and lineage of King David the Bethlehemite. And as Mary was in the last stages of carrying her child to term, her husband Joseph had to return to their ancestral home to register in the Roman census. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem during Joseph's trips to register. Joseph and his family then went to Egypt to escape the persecution of Herod. And then when Herod died, Joseph took his family back to Nazareth. So although Jesus grew up in Nazareth, he was not born in Nazareth. And had the Pharisees decided to investigate or even ask this man who was healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons and feeding the poor, they could easily have acquired this information. But since it was obvious that Jesus was not part of the Pharisaical power structure, the Pharisees rejected Jesus without a proper investigation of Jesus' bona fides. But now our text, James chapter 1, verse 2 tells us, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Now, partiality, as used here, can be defined as judging someone based upon some item of personal status rather than on their actions or performance. The Pharisees judged Jesus as ineligible to represent God because he was from, as they say, the wrong side of the tracks. Now, I recently read a book on the, rec on the recommendation of my son about a similar situation in the church. The book is entitled Radical Reformation by Mark Driscoll, which says this about the traditional church in the 21st century. It says, some churches are more into their, into their church and its tradition, buildings, and politics than the gospel. Though they know the gospel theologically, they rarely take it out of their church. This is classic fundamentalist Christianity, which flourishes most widely in, a, in more independent-minded, Bible-believing churches. The success of these churches lies in that the members love the church and often love the other people in the church. Their failure is that it is debatable whether they love, lost, love Jesus and lost people in the culture as much as they love their own church. Pastors at these churches are prone to speak about the needs of the church, focusing on building up its people and keeping them from sinning. These churches exist to bring other Christians in more than to send them out into the culture with the gospel. And over time, they can become so inwardly focused that the gospel is replaced with rules, legalism, and morality supported with mere proof text from the Bible. Fundamentalist Christians are commonly found to love their Lord and their brothers, but not their neighbors. So Driscoll says that fundamentalist churches exist to bring other churches, Christians into their church, which is not exactly the same as that which the Bible defines as evangelism. Bringing other Christians into the church is more like what we used to call sheep stealing than evangelism as we try to get Christian members from other churches. Now, the reason that cheap stealing is more satisfying to many church leaders than evangelism is because the sheep that we steal have similar ethnic, occupational, and Christian characteristics as ourselves. And most of us are more comfortable with people that are like ourselves 
than we are with people who are different from us. Now, this is the crux of partiality. Most people are more comfortable with people that are like them than they are with people who are different. When we see someone who is different, we have a much more difficult time embracing them. The more strongly that we identify with the characteristics that differentiates us from another person, the less welcoming that we generally are to accept them into our fellowship. James chapter 2, verse 2 through 4 gives the example. The Bible says, For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, You stand there or sit at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? When I hold it, James, a poor man in filthy clothes in our church? Are you serious? I would tell him to stand over there or sit on the ground because I don't want the pews in the church messed up. If the man is filthy, how can we welcome him into our church? Shouldn't he go home and dress up and come back when he gets himself straight? Now listen to what the Bible says in Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 32. It says this. After these things, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So Levi left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave, gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And the scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, Tax collectors like Levi were of the lowest social status among the Jews. They received their money by collecting money from their Jewish brethren to give to the Romans. And part of the incentive that they had to collect as much as possible was that they be able to keep a percentage of that which they collected. Not only that, but tax collectors were generally considered to be no better than thieves because they had the tendency to collect more than they were supposed to from individuals and then keep the difference rather than turning it into Rome. So in the eyes of the Jews, a tax collector was a fellow with pretty poor character. But Jesus, in our example, sought out this tax collector to be in his group of disciples, which did not endear Jesus to the Pharisees any more than the fact that Jesus was ostensibly from Galilee. But the difference between Jesus and the Pharisees is similar to that between Samuel and God expressed to us in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6 and 7. Now Samuel was sent by God to Jesse's house to anoint the next king. And the Bible says, so it was when they came that Samuel looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointing is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now Samuel looked at Eliab and decided that Eliab looked like a king. 
The Pharisees look upon what a man does for a living, especially if he's a tax collector. The Pharisees look upon where a man is from, especially if he is from Galilee. The Pharisees look at the outward appearance, and in some cases, they do not do their due diligence to ascertain whether their assumptions about a man based upon his outward appearance are true. God, on the other hand, has the power to judge a man more deeply based upon his inward intellectual and emotional characteristics such as courage, intellect, and moral fiber. In other words, what is in his heart. Now in Luke chapter 5, verse 32, 32, Jesus responds to the scribes and Pharisees, and the scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, this is the reason that Jesus is called the great physician. He describes himself as the one who was sent by God to those of us who are sick, not just meaning physical illness, but also sin sickness. Our sin sickness makes us unable to get along with others because we judge them based upon our appearance. We sometimes listen to what people have to say and ascribe ulterior motives to them, which may or may not be correct. We sometimes hate people because they look differently than we do, or because their ancestors did something mean to our ancestors in history, or because they are of a different religion than we are. Some call this self-defense, but the Bible calls it sin. James chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 tells us, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, after we meet the Lord, our attitudes about people should begin to change. Now, they may not change overnight, but listening to the words of the New Testament should teach us that God is the creator of all people, and that, as 2 Peter 3, 9 tells us, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God wants all, meaning everyone, to come to repentance, that is, to become a member of his family, the church. Now, we are not to judge that someone, because of their outward appearance or their personal characteristics, cannot come to repentance and is condemned to life outside the Christian fellowship. James said that we should embrace even the filthy man, and he uses the word filthy for a very specific reason, which is given in Isaiah 64, 6, which says, but we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So, in the sight of God, your clean pressed suit is just as much of a filthy rag as the poor man's dirty clothing. I mentioned in our last lesson that we need to evaluate the Word of God, recognizing the fact that we are rank sinners ourselves. We need to take ourselves off of the pedestal and recognize that our position in Christ is not a result of our own goodness, 
or because of our own righteousness, but because of the imputed righteousness given to us by Jesus Christ's sacrifice on Calvary. Galatians 2.20 tells us, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. No, my life is no longer about me. Yes, I have personal concerns and personal desires, but as a Christian, I need to decide that 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 I desire is not pleasing to God, and if not, I need to abandon it, because it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, which means that although I am still the one drawing breath, I am no longer the one setting the agenda. Now, I have by faith decided to follow the agenda of Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus gave himself for me on Calvary, and I received righteousness because of his sacrifice. And that righteousness tells me to make the conscious decision to, to no longer judge others with partiality because of outward physical characteristics or association, but to be as a beggar that has found the place in which bread is being given away and is letting all other beggars know, regardless of their race, creed, color, religion, or national origin, where they can go to find bread. Yes, they may be starving in sin, but they can go to the place where the bread is being given out and feed their sin-sick souls. Yes, they may have disgusting, filthy habits, but they can go to the place where the bread is being given out and receive something that will change them on the inside and cause them to put their disgusting, filthy habits away, even as we have put our disgusting, filthy habits away. Now, the context of the passage of Scripture in Galatians 2 has to do with a conflict between Paul and Peter over their association with the Gentiles of Antioch. Now, the Jewish ceremonial law forbade the Jews with eating with the Gentiles as the Gentiles were unclean before God. But nevertheless, when Peter came to Antioch, he ate with the Gentiles that had accepted Christ as they were all Christians. However, when, from Jews, when some Jews from the church at Jerusalem that were more insistent that the Jews remain separate from the Gentiles, even though the Gentiles were Christians, came, Peter gave in and stopped eating with the Gentiles. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 13 records, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before, for before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. So Paul confronted Peter about the hypocrisy of behaving as a Christian until the Jews came from Jerusalem, and then forsaking the Gentile Christians to appease the Jews that wanted to keep the ceremonial laws intact. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentile, knowing 
that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So Paul made it clear to Peter that there is no difference between Jewish and Gentile Christianity. Both Jews and Gentiles gain access to God by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and the Old Testament laws of Moses have no effect on our faith relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that the Mosaic law was simply a temporary learning device to specify our sin for us, but really had no power to save, and that Judaism was a schoolroom, and the Mosaic law was analogous to a schoolmaster preparing students in school until the students have completed their courses and are ready to matriculate into the real world of Christianity. Galatians 3, 23 through 28 tells us, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the, by the, by the Mosaic law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the Mosaic law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith in Christ has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ has put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The distinctions were all eradicated on the cross. Jesus died for the sins of all men, regardless of their ethnic group, their racial heritage, their national origin, or their religious affiliation. Jesus Christ is the great common denominator between men, and he is the one by which we must all be saved, as First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 5 tells us. Therefore I, I, therefore, I exhort first that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So now one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Peter testifies similarly to the authorities after he, by the power of Christ, healed the lame man at the beautiful gate in Acts chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. Peter says, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So now the crux of Christianity is the history of the life of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And the teaching of the apostles in the scripture tells anyone who will review them 
that there is no name on no other name under heaven by which we must be saved other than Jesus Christ. The good works that we do are done in the power of his name and in accordance with his word, and we deserve none of the credit. Peter healed the man at the beautiful gate by the power of Christ, but Peter did not do anything to create this power. Peter was not able to stand by Jesus and watch as Jesus was going to the cross. Peter's gift of healing, like all other spiritual gifts, was given to him by God. And in spite of Peter's lack of righteousness, it was because of God's mercy. So since that which we have is ours because of God's mercy, let us not arrogantly imagine that we are better than the fellow in the filthy clothes. Quiet as it is kept, I just took off my filthy clothes to come here. And I hope that you don't look too hard at me because you may see that I still have some of the filth on me. And as we conclude this lesson, let us listen to Paul as he explains our equivalence to one another and our interdependence on one another, even as various organs of our bodies are interdependent. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 5 admonishes us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So to God, all of us in the body of Christ are members of one another. We are members of the body of Christ not because of our righteousness, but because of God's grace. So let us not fail to extend the grace of God to others that may wish to join the body, let us not treat one another or anyone with whom we come into contact with partiality, but with love and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning that you have given us this lesson and help us as we go down from this place to look at folk differently. Let us not look at folk with partiality. Let us not judge them based upon their outward appearance. Let us commune with them and see what is in their hearts. And let, let us uh, come together and learn that we might be able to live with virtually anyone that believes in your name. And then help us to, to reach out to those that do not believe in your name, that they might come to believe in it and we might be brothers with them as well. And our Lord, we thank you for all that are in the house. We ask that you give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and bring us back at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen and thank God. God, our Father, we thank you this morning that you have given us this lesson, that you have given us these to listen to the lesson and 
that you have given us this lively discussion that we might be able to grow from the sharing that we have with one another. We ask you as we go down from this place this week that you would help us uh, to judge life without partiality, but to judge with righteous judgment even as you do, uh, as you do not look on the outward appearance, but that you look on the heart. Now that we're praying for Dr. Allen and those whom he's asked us to pray for, Brother Quarterman and Brother Uat, we ask you that you bless he and his wife as they are completing their academic uh, books and all those things that they're doing out in New Jersey and bring them back safely at the conclusion of their mission there. Now we pray for those that Sister Allen has asked us to pray for, for uh, Sister Debbie Morgan, who's uh, doing better and she's beginning to walk in rehab, for Brother uh, Tolliver Michael Bragg, and we're asking you, though, that you would um, take care of his dialysis situation, let something happen good for him on that end. We're praying for uh, that you would bind uh, Maury and Dwayne Curtis together in their marriage with cords of love that cannot be broken. We're asking you that you intercede on behalf of Darlene Sherrod, who has a lump uh, in her breast that has to undergo chemotherapy again. And we're asking you, Lord, that you'd allow uh, your, your hand to fall on her, because there was a woman that had an issue of blood for 14 years, and the doctors could not do anything about it, but just one touch from the hem of your garment made her whole. So we're asking you that you'd extend your, the hem of your garment to Sister Sherrod this morning. And also, Lord, we are praying for uh, Sister Noda Brown and her family as uh, they, as she is in hospice care. And we ask you, Lord, that, that all would be well with her soul, that as she uh, prepares to go from this side to that side, that she would be in good graces with you and would be able to uh, see you in your kingdom. Now we pray for the others. And Sister Allen has asked us to pray for her sons and her daughters, her, her husband and her parents, uh, for the store as well. We ask you to continue to let them uh, do well there for Sister Lily Hersey and Ethel Platter, uh, Heather Platter and Ethel Owens, we just ask you, Lord, that you bless all of these uh, that, that Sister Allen has asked us to pray for. We pray for the Beard family and for Sister Marcia and Brother Julian and Brother Carlos. We ask you that you would allow them, Lord, that they might be able to resolve their situations well. We ask you that you be in that uh, as it goes, uh, as those things uh, uh, come to pass, that you might be able to guide them and have them going in the right direction. Now I'm praying for my wife, uh, one that's here, and I'm asking you, Lord, that, that you'd bless uh, those who she's asked us to pray for, for Rachel Demon's mother, for uh, Mother Z. We ask you that you uh, allow her to recover, recover her faculties as she's recovering from a stroke as well. Praying for Brother Rodriguez and Brother Ty Tyson, for Mother Verser, uh, Mother Johnny Mae Wills. We thank you, Lord, that Teresa was able to deliver her baby safely, although she had a pregnancy through her diabetes. And we ask you, Lord, that you allow her to control that uh, situation. We pray also for Wendy, who's doing better, and we ask you, Lord, that you bless uh, Sister Linda Hannes, whose mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and we just ask you, Lord, that you go with her and stand by her as she deals with that situation. We ask you, Lord, that you give Sister Bard strength, keep her strong until uh, the time for her surgery, that she might be able to go, go into it and come out of it and, uh, and not even feel the effects of it. We just ask that you uplift her and just keep her safe and strong. And we also pray for Paul as he travels up and down a dangerous highway. We ask you that you give him traveling mercies. Thank you for that which you have given him to do. That we allow you. We ask you that you allow all that falls to his hand to be profitable. Give him good technical solutions to his problems uh, that he comes across in the world. And we just ask you, Lord, that you bless him. Now we're praying for Rick, who's over in Iraq. We're asking you that you keep him safe from the bombs and the bullets and the guns as they are over there shooting. And, uh, and brothers are coming back home 
uh, not in the same way that they came, that they went over there. But we're asking you, Lord, that you put your hedge of protection around him as he's dead. Also praying for Nikki Owens and for Brian. We're asking you that you that you'd allow uh, him to work well with his therapist and allow them to resolve his issues uh, that he's having in his marriage. We just pray for that marriage, and we ask you, Lord, that you continue to bless in that venue. Praying for Sarah Roberts and also for Eric and Amanda. And we're asking you, Lord, that you'd allow their marriage to come to fruition this time. Just, just go with them and stand by them and uh, bring them into your kingdom. Now, we're asking you that uh, you'd also bless those whom Brother Edwards has asked us to pray for. We ask you that uh, Sister Goodson might, might be able to have a good recovery uh, from that that she has uh, had added to her list of illnesses. And we ask you, Lord, that you intercede on her behalf and uh, prove the doctors wrong and allow them to allow her to recover more swiftly than they anticipate that she will. We're continuing in prayer for Sister Alice May Nichols and for Sister Cora Carruthers as well. We ask you to bless them all, Lord, as they uh, have these medical problems. And we also pray for Brother Edwards as he travels up and down the dangerous highways. And we ask you, Lord, that you give him good skill as he performs his functions for the state, that you bless his sons as they're going to school and give them steel-trapped minds as they go in the classroom, that they might be able to glean all the information that the teacher is giving out so that when test time comes, they will be able to do well. And we pray for his wife as well. Also praying for Sister Penny Rogela that Rick has asked us to pray for. We ask you, Lord, that, that her radiation treatment might go well as well. Now, those who the Lee's family has asked us to pray for, for, for the Smithwick family, uh, for uh, the Grumelot family, for the Kernicke family, uh, we ask you, Lord, that you bless these families uh, and for the striking family. We ask you that you bless these families that uh, have these family problems. Uh, the losses in the family, Lord, we ask you that you give them a comfort in the day of loss. Help them to remember that to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord from now on. And we just ask you, Lord, that you bless in these cases. And for the Gremolites who had their mother deployed to Iraq, we ask you that you surround her with that same hedge of protection. Keep her safe, bring her back safely at the appointed time for the conclusion of her, uh, at the conclusion of her tour. Praying also for Frida Durham and for Mike Pillow, we ask you that you continue to bless him. Uh, for Janet Teddy, and for uh, Tyrone Davis as well. Bless all whom, sister, whom brother and sister Lee are concerned about. And also for their sons, uh, Cedric, who's at home, and then uh, Darius, who's out in Pennsylvania. And we're asking you that since these young men are learning in academic mode, that you would help them to, to retain all that the teachers have to tell them so that they'll be able to do well on any examination when the day comes for that. And we're praying for brother and sister McClure. We're asking that you bless sister McClure at let her allow her to get over her uh, uh, cold condition and be back with us. Now, we're praying also, Lord, for uh, Janelle and JJ as they are away at school. And we ask you that you bless all of our students, and these two in particular, as they are, uh, uh, they are involved in higher education. We're praying, Lord, that as Janelle prepares to take the law school examination test, uh, aptitude test, that you would uh, allow her to, re to retain all those things that she's picked up across the years and allow the course that she's taking right now to give her that which she needs to do well on that, that she might be able to enter the school of her choice and come up with the career of her choice. We're praying also for J.J. down at Central. We're asking you, the Lord, did you allow him to acclimate to that situation and do well on his academics as well. And we're continuing prayer for Sister Olney and Brother Kraft and, and for our Brother Hokewater's family. We're also praying for Mother McClure, who's down in Phoenix. And we're asking you that you'd allow her 
to enjoy the heat and the warmth that she might be able to uh, have a great time during the winter and come back during the summer and enjoy the heat up here. Praying for the Winston family, continuing in prayer for Brother Winston and uh, his back problem. We're asking you, Lord, that you continue to bless uh, our Sister Powell and Sister Pointer and Sister Winston with her shoulder and bless them all as they are close, come closer to you. Lord, I'm praying for Dad and I'm praying for Marvin out on the East Coast, asking you that you continue to bless them and bless Uncle Jab. We thank you, Lord, that life is going well in our family. Bless Aunt Naomi as well and all, all of the elders seem to be doing well. And we thank you for that, Lord, for there are some families that have tragedy. And we are blessed to not have any right in through here. And we thank you for this respite from it. Continuing in prayer for Brother Bowie as he's recovering for his, from his kidney transplant. For Sister Frazier, Brother McGill, for Sister Morgan, we ask you that you bless her as, as she's trying to get her mind together. Just go with her and stand by in all that she does. We pray for the Northers down in Houston and the Perkins and all those little girls down in Lafayette, Louisiana. And we ask you, Lord, that as, he, as these uh, college instructors are uh, teaching their children, that you would give them uh, that which they need to communicate uh, the facts that they're trying to teach to the students well, that they might be able to uh, come, that their students might do well, and that their children might do well as well. We pray for Brother Russell in White Hills and Brother Sifford, who's over in Iraq. We ask you that you give him the word that he might be able to give to someone that would bless them. Hello, we thank you for Sister Fangin who happened to come in on us today, and we certainly appreciate her and her two sons. We are praying for uh, Alexander's leg, that it will continue to strengthen as he's uh, in basketball season now, having made it through football season. Continue to continue to strengthen that leg, give him a full range of motion, and give him all of the strength that he had in it when before he injured it. And we ask you, Lord, that you just bless on that regard. We're also praying... Uh, on their behalf for Sister Catherine Patton, who has a pacemaker going in, and we're asking you, Lord, that you bless, in that case, give the doctor skill and give them the ability to do that surgery and uh, implant that device and let the device work long and, and keep, keep the pace of her heart going well. Now, we're thanking you, Lord, for Brother Powell, who's come in today, and we're asking you that you would continue to bless him and, and bless his church as well. We ask you that you go, go with uh, Brother Stone over there as he is preaching the gospel, and we ask you that you uh, allow them to do all the things that they are trying to do on the corner that they are on. Now, we're praying also for Sabrina Powell, her, his daughter, who's in Sparrow Hospital with a stroke, and we're asking you, Lord, that you just give her that, that one touch of the hem of your garment that she might be made whole. We know that the doctors have the first say, but that you have the last say, and we're asking you that you would speak on her behalf and speak wellness into her body. Well, now, Lord, we thank you for all who are in the house today, and we thank you that you have given us this place that we might be able to come here and discuss and teach and preach your word as well. We thank you for the fellowship that we have here, and we ask you that you continue to go with us and stand by us as we try to do the little, a little bit of your work on this corner. Now, we pray for the television station, for the Forgotten Man Ministry, for those who are victims of hurricanes, and for our armed forces overseas and abroad, uh, overseas and at home, I should say, and for the young men and women in this neighborhood and for the salvation of our family and our, and our friends. And I'm praying for my wife, who's the love of my life. I'm asking you to continue to guide us and bless us in the way that we should go. And now, Lord, we're thanking you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God.
Jesus Christ died on the cross that all might be saved. He has no partiality with him. He will save from the guttermost to the uttermost. And as we go down from this place, let us remember the ministry of Jesus Christ. Let us remember that he came for all of us, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Let us remember him now, all that he has done for us, and let us remember him as we eat and drink together. I mean, the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit. Rest in the Bible with us now, henceforth and forevermore. Let every heart say, Amen.